This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. Welcome to the first in our Good to Great podcast series, where we'll be discussing the issues affecting the UK house builder and developer market with a real focus on what the best companies and leaders do to drive their businesses and teams. Whether you're a CEO of a PLC or you've just started your own small to medium sized enterprise, we'll bring you the content and expertise to help solve any problems you have. In this first episode, we catch up with Countryside's Chief Executive, Ian Sutcliffe. Since taking the helm five years ago, he's taken the company from strength to strength, relisting it on the stock exchange in 2016 and doubling the size of its workforce. Countryside is the fastest growing house builder on the UK stock market today, and it's a huge privilege that Ian joined us to share his leadership insights and experience with the industry. Thank you very much for coming along to speak to us. What I really want to understand is, is first of all, how did Ian Sutcliffe go from oil and gas industry where you worked for 20 years and then came into the housing industry? I came into house building 13 years ago, uh, having spent uh, just over 20 years straight out of university uh, working in the oil and gas business. Quite a different type of business, uh, although uh, my background really was in development and developing petrol stations and, and that side of the business. Uh, but I got an opportunity um, in uh, 2005 to uh, join Taylor Wimpy, or what was George Wimpy at, at, at the time, and uh, a shift in both geographies in, in terms of uh, I was living in the United States uh, previously with Shell. Uh, but but a very different change in segment, uh, house building, uh, very different business to, to, to oil and gas. I think the attraction uh, was uh, uh, when you work in house building, you get to really make a tangible difference. You, you change people's lives, you leave a legacy behind of the developments that you do. And the sense of achievement, uh, I think, is, is, is much stronger. And I have to say... Uh, I haven't really looked back since that, that move across into house building. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a vocation that I really enjoy. In terms of what you learn in the oil and gas marketplace, and let's face facts, but the, the size of the projects in oil and gas, we're, we're talking you know, multi-billion pound mm. projects. How are the projects run compared to the house building industry? Is, is there much difference in terms of the structure of the organisations or is it just on a... I think in the oil business generally, the nature of investments is so large. You know, they're typically hundreds of millions or, or, or billions of pounds when you're uh, building refineries or offshore production platforms or, or even pipeline infrastructures across countries. So the planning, the uh, political interface and the, the duration of the projects themselves are, are so much larger. Having said all that, the, the, the process is not that different. There is a, a planning process to go through. There's a, an economic evaluation to go through. And then most importantly, uh, a commercial negotiation and an implementation. And that's not that dissimilar to, to what we do in house building, uh, particularly on the larger strategic sites and the partnership sites that Countryside is involved in. And when you came from the oil and gas industry into the house building industry, did you hit the ground running or was there a, a steep learning curve? 
it's a very different business. And, uh, you know, coming in as I did as Chief Operating Officer at uh, Wimpy, I was fortunate to, to be surrounded by people who were steeped in the industry. They'd been around the industry for, for, for tens of years and knew, knew all the detail of it. Yes, of course, there's a learning curve. And, you know, I can't pretend to be the expert that, that people <laughs> who've worked 30 or 40 years in the business are. But what I can do is bring uh, an experience of running a a large and and complex business, uh, a business that operates off multiple locations, bringing a clarity to to direction and operation. And and that's what I did at Wimpy and what I've continued to do at Countryside. Okay, so then you've you've been at Countryside now for the last four years? Five years. Five years. Okay. Obviously, Countryside, a a company with a, a very, very strong heritage very strong values as well and you know is it their 60th year is it this year yeah it is uh it's our 60th anniversary this year uh countryside's uh, been around a long time in, in various guises founded by alan cherry back in in 1958 uh, uh in the essex home counties and hertfordshire and the around the electrified uh railway lines coming out of london the, the commuter towns oh, wow. The business has evolved enormously. Um, it, it's evolved to to be a business now that that is all the way around the M25 and including many of the London boroughs. Uh, but we've also spread our wings into the Midlands and into the Northwest to to, to Liverpool and, and Manchester. The business uh, for, for for much of its time has been a private one. Uh, it was listed previously on the on the stock exchange. Uh, but but delisted it uh, through the um, recession when it went into the ownership of Lloyd's Bank. <laughs> so it, it, it's it's had its highs and lows. I think what it what it has got though it's got it's got great heritage, great heritage in the way it does business, yeah. great heritage in the the way it builds partnerships with landowners and, and local authorities, and a a way of doing things that's that's endured through those sixty years. Um, the the challenge I had in coming into the business was how to focus on the things that we were really good at and, 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 and maybe cast aside some of the things that, that were peripheral to our main business and then make sure we grew on an efficient business model that, that has allowed us to list back on the stock exchange again two years ago. When you came into the business five years ago, did you come in with a, was it a brand new strategy for taking the, the, the business forward? No, I, I wouldn't say that it was a complete revolution in that sense. My brief was 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 threefold. Firstly, to to give a clarity to the strategy. Now, the, the two main things that that countryside has been really good at over the years uh, is developing long term strategic land in the uh, home counties around London, and secondly, uh, its partnership business of larger scale urban regeneration in the London boroughs and and some of the regional cities. And those areas take a long time to build up expertise. They take a long time to build up the, the pipeline of work that we have. And we didn't want to lose those. Those were integral parts to, to, to what Countryside stood for. The second bit I did have to, to, to bring a closer edge to was really then just the, the operational discipline of delivering those, those two main strategic objectives. And that means making our business efficient, not not losing the things that differentiate our product and differentiate our place making, but delivering them in a much more efficient way than, than we had been doing. And then the third arm to it was to grow the business. Uh, the business was subscale five years ago uh, on both the partnership side and the house building side. And we needed to get that to be a size where we could compete with the other volume house builders uh, in terms of delivering the major sites. 
And in terms of though, how do you how do you come into a business which has got you know some strong personalities in it? And I'm talking more as a, a, a as a leader and and come in and and really get the company all on board with your ideas. How how do you do that? What what was the plan from day one? Well, I think that you have to build around you uh, an executive team, uh, a coalition of the of the existing um, directors, if you like that share the vision of what what we what we want to be two of uh the, the founders sons graham and, and richard cherry were were very much still part of the business when i arrived and and they they brought with them a, a wealth of experience and a wealth of history uh within countryside and i i can't pay tribute uh strongly enough to graham and richard in terms of the way they uh they embraced the strategy that we needed to follow in order to make ourselves successful in the in in, in the current environment but in terms of uh, articulating the, the the strategy going forward, it wasn't a complete revolution. It was mm. it was about dropping some of the things that that perhaps were peripheral to our to our main activities. So we we stopped being a contractor for other people. We we stopped dabbling in retail and commercial properties. Uh, we stopped being just a seller of uh, of development land, and we focused on the the two arms of strategic lead house building. Uh, and the partnership business with the local authorities, and and Graham and Richard headed up part part of that each, and that's 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 how we set off going. But going beyond the initial executive team, of course, you, you there are many many more people in a business that you have to bring in, in on board in terms of what we're trying to do. So, first step is really giving giving people the big picture of where it is we're trying to go, what we're trying to achieve. And what their part is within it. So if we get everybody pulling together to a to a common objective, then then we've got a chance of achieving it. And that strategic objective was really about uh, growth. It was about resilience in terms of making sure that we were were strong throughout the uh, house building economic cycle. And thirdly, making sure that the returns that we could give to shareholders once we launch back on the sh- on the stock exchange. Uh, we're, we're going to be better than they could get with with other house builders, and that that really has been our platform. Now that top level strategy is really uh, just the headline, and all the actions that that take place underneath are, are a thousand different decisions every day. But if people know where they're pointing to, and then you give them constant feedback of how we're progressing to that, then the individual decisions become easier to understand and, and easier to align to. How do, and, and this is me just thinking, you know, I don't work in a company this size, but the communication to those individuals, what are the mediums which you use to, to get that story down from, from, you know, from you down to the, to the site managers, yeah. to the, you know, the people on the front desks? Well, you know, electronic media is great, uh, whether it's podcasts, whether it's videos uh, or, or, or email, but, but nothing really beats face to face. And uh, what we institu- instigated uh, five years ago was that with all with all our regions, uh, we would have a monthly update on just how we were doing. And I and the other members of the executive would stand up for 30 minutes and just update the business on all the big things that we were doing and how their, their business fitted in with that, that bigger piece. And then at the end of it, give them the opportunity to, to ask questions. Now, when we first started doing this, we didn't get many questions. But as people became comfortable with the fact that you could ask anything in these sessions, and if we didn't know the answer, we didn't know the answer, 
but we wanted to make senior management accessible to every, everybody in the business. And that means going out and repeating these messages on site. It means making sure that, that all people in the organization get a chance to, to ask the difficult questions. And gradually over time, the numbers of, in, of questions increase <laughs> and, and people get comfortable that, that they can ask those questions, mm. even, even the difficult ones. And if, if we can, possibly tell them we do. Sometimes we don't uh, have all the answers to yeah. all the questions, but at least people can see there is a plan and that we have thought through the, uh, the challenges that we might face. I think it's really that honesty and transparency, which is, yeah. is, is critical. And, and having a, a leader that is, is quite approachable. Yeah. I, I saw your, your desk is in the, in the corner of this big office. Yeah, we, we don't have um, you know we don't have uh, individual offices here. We never we haven't. Uh, it's a it's a casual business where um, you know we all work here together, and uh, you know I, I, I sit next to uh, some of the more junior people, and, and and we're pretty mixed in as as we go. So that that gives a degree of access, I've, I think, go, going forward. But it is. You know, it is being upfront with people, even when you face the difficult decisions. And and one of the most difficult decisions that we that we had to change around countryside was that uh, effectively, when it was a much smaller business, mm-hmm. everybody was in the uh, in the same head office. Uh, more or less, all the office based staff were were based here at, at Wally in Brentwood, and we knew that couldn't survive if we were going to grow at the size we were going to grow because simply you just can't run. Uh, ten regions that we now have out of out of one office. So, um, breaking up the the central structure and breaking it into the uh, firstly the individual divisions, uh, partnership and house building, uh, but then breaking it up further still into the regions that sit within that uh, meant we had to change the business model, and and that that was that was tough in the early days because it did mean that. Some people didn't have the job that they, they used to have and some mm. people have had to, to relocate in the process. And those are difficult decisions because while everybody can probably see the logic of it from a business perspective, if you've got to drive another 50 miles around the M25 yeah. each day, it's, it's not going to be great news on a personal level necessarily. It's hard to recruit for when you've got to send them around the M25. It is. And, and you know, what's happened, I think, with the uh, the pressures on recruitment over the last five years, and it's true from uh, subcontractor trades on our sites to, to people who work in our office, you know, through the recession, you might have to drive 50 miles a day on the M25 because jobs are just not yeah. plentiful. As, as, you know, as the pressure on, on, on workforce has increased, People don't need to travel, and therefore we've got to make sure that our operation and our people are as close to the markets that we serve as, as we possibly can, and that's meant as opening new offices in new locations over over the last five years. We'll come back to that, but you know, in in general, the you know the growth of the company has been pretty phenomenal. You've you've almost doubled the employee base in the last four years. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, I mean. The, the growth of uh, on any metric you choose to uh, to look at I mean one of our big platforms was we, we thought we could grow faster than than any of the other house builders uh, our completions grew by 27 percent last year yeah. I, I think our nearest competitor was probably Bellway and that that was less than half of that number so we we are outgrowing the rest of the the, the business in both completions uh, in terms of profit. Uh, and I dare say in terms of recruitment, although uh, that, those are more difficult figures to get hold of. 
But, um, you know, we've opened new offices at uh, Acton in, in West London. Uh, we acquired a business in the, in the Thames Valley. We've opened a new office at Sevenoaks. We're about to open a new office at Chesson in, in Hertfordshire. We've opened a new region in Wolverhampton in, in the West Midlands. And these are fueling the, 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 growth, uh, the growth of our business. And as, as, you, as you rightly say, you know, we had something just under 600 people four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of last year, we had 1,260. We think we need around another 500 people over the next, uh, the next three or four years to continue our growth. In terms of, you know, dealing with that, that skill shortage, 500 people, you come from the oil and gas industry yourself, so you're, you, you're, you're coming from outside. Are you looking at other industries to, to fuel this yeah, I mean, there are, there are certain skill sets, uh, construction skill sets that, that have to come from within yeah, development, whether they're house builders or whether they're from uh, commercial developers, that there are some skills that, that transfer across. Um, there are other skills in terms of disciplines like finance or HR or marketing, where, where of course, we can spread the, yeah. the net much wide, wider than house building. But I think that the you know the numbers of people that we require to to fuel the growth that we're we're looking to achieve means we've got to think two things. What one is how do we retain, reward, and attract uh, the people in the numbers that we need them, and then secondly, and, and probably as importantly for our site based activities, how do we build houses with less input on site because. If we continue down the traditional brick and block uh, method of construction, we're going to run out of skilled workforce on the sites to be able to deliver that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, along with, with a number of other house builders, uh, we're looking uh, to see what, what off-site construction can do for us to, to help speed that delivery. Already nearly half our production is, is, is through open panel timber frame. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now that... That in itself is produced off-site, but what we're looking at is to say, how, how do we take that one step further? How do we make, not a complete modular building as such, mm-hmm. but how do we move to a closed panel timber frame system, for instance, right. where the insulation, the windows, the first fix, plumbing and electrical, right. and the plasterboard are, are all together on the on the wall section when it arrives so we reduce the amount of work that needs to to take place on on the site. Now, you know, our subcontractors shouldn't worry that suddenly we're going to need less less subcontractors. That's yeah. simply to manage the scale of growth that we're uh, we're aspiring to achieve. And at the moment, uh, in terms of the, the the modular build site, are you reliant on factories abroad to to produce those modular no, systems? Uh, no, our. Uh, we, we do have some reliance on overseas timber. The best quality timber comes from Scandinavia and e- right. Eastern Europe. So we do have some reliance on the raw material from, from Europe, but typically our timber frame supplies are based in the UK. Right. Uh, some areas of, of the UK, uh, predominantly uh, the West, the, the, the Northwest and Scotland, um, have had a history of, uh, of timber frame build, largely be- because of the weather. You can get into the dry that much quicker oh. if you if you if you're building in timber frame. So there are areas there where it's, it's it's a natural place for us to start. But we we've spread our timber frame business from the northwest into the Midlands, into our West Midlands business, and we don't see any reason why we can't spread that into into other parts of the country. Now, that doesn't mean to say we're going to abandon traditional masonry build. We're not. for our Certainly for our higher price product, that, that will remain the case. 
and certainly our partnerships business in London, which is largely led by mid-rise apartments, yeah. that that will continue <laughs> to be concrete frame. So that 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 won't change. Right. Okay. Right. Um, what I want to talk now is really countryside, countryside, and and how you sit in the yeah. in the wider marketplace. Well, I think I think countryside is is different to to many of the other house builders. Uh, the, the the principal difference being being our partnerships business. You know, our business is split into into two broadly equal halves. Half of it is the strategic land-led house building business that operates in the fifty-mile donut around uh, around London. We don't have the exposure to to central London that some some developers have. Mm-hmm. We're in the outer boroughs and the and the, and the home counties, and that business is um, uh, you know is is based on a strategic land bank that that goes back. 30 years. So, you know, that that business has a very secure supply of land coming through. It's bigger sites, it's it's greenfield sites typically, and it's larger master plan communities. The bit that's very different about our business is our partnerships business, mm-hmm. because this is not a construction or social housing business. Yeah. It's delivering the same type of master plans. So the bigger uh, communities of mixed tenure, private for sale, private rented and, and affordable housing, but this time building it in the urban environment, t- right. typically on public sector land in partnerships with, with local Same authorities. Job. So we brought our skill set that, that we, uh, we, we developed you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago in terms of uh, the home counties, and we brought that into the urban environment over the last 30-odd years. And that bit means we deliver a very different mix of products. So where typically many uh, volume house builders are delivering 80% uh, private housing, yeah. 20% affordable. Uh, we, within our partnership business, are broadly delivering a third private, a third private rented and a third affordable. And that gives us the benefit of being able to build quicker. Yeah. Uh, it gives us a resilience because we're not reliant purely on the, on the private for sale. And it gives us a, a, a strong returns basis because of the, the nature of that model. So... That that makes us very different, um, uh, uh, and that's the bit that really has fueled our growth over that, the last five so years. Come yeah. really come from the, the that's really side. where the growth's come. From. And I'm I'm assuming from the the partnership side, going into these kind of I don't know pre Brexit, whatever you want to call it, yeah. nothing's really happened. Whereas there's there's uncertainty, and the, the the marketplace is always very twitchy when it doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. Looking from the outside, I'm assuming it's more sustainable business, and there's more sustainable growth. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because, you know, in in partnerships, uh, only a third of our production is is linked to private sale, and nearly all of that is linked to the first-time buyer market and to owner-occupiers. So a very small proportion of that is subject to the vagaries of the, um, uh, you know, the trade-up market, the dependent sale market, the the higher price points – you know, ninety-six percent of what we develop privately uh, goes to owner occupiers. We right. we don't sell overseas. We don't have a big investor uh, purchaser base. So we we made a choice uh, about three years ago that we needed to manage the affordability of that private product to to be in the price points where there was the strongest demand, and that typically means under six hundred thousand pounds in uh, London and the southeast, and under three hundred thousand pounds in in Birmingham and the northwest. And that has really found a sweet spot because that part of the market is 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 going very strongly. Um, I think the higher price points clearly are facing headwinds, not not just from a stickier trade up market in the second hand mm-hmm. market, 
obviously increased stamp duty above £900,000. But also because many of those purchases at those higher price points are discretionary. People don't have to move at that point. So if you are a bit uncertain about Brexit or you're a bit uncertain about the political environment, then people just sit on their hands for another 12 months and defer that decision. So I'm not surprised the top end has has slowed down Mm. in the way that it has. And it's not just about affordability. But actually, the um, the segment of the market that we serve is is actually going really, uh, really well, and particularly regionally outside London. Look, obviously, I don't want you to give away the secret recipe or anything, but but looking from it from an outside in this, you know, in the, the climate we're in, it looks a, a really robust organisation. You kind of you got you know got more legs on the table than most organised yeah. organisations, and I you know I always just wonder why. Everybody has not done partnership schemes. Well, I think, you know, partner, partnerships uh, are like strategic land. Um, you can't get into them quickly. Right. Um, the, the, the nature of our strategic land pipeline and the nature of our uh, pipeline of working partnerships has been built up over 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that local authorities get into these partnership uh, agreements is is generally... Uh, long-term processing, and long-term management of, of, of their resources. So the deals don't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. And the local authorities are often not resourced or not funded in the way that they need to be, and hence why they're looking to do the deals in the first place. So, so there is a long degree of uh, making sure that you work through both the procurement process and then the enablement process and the community engagement to, to move to move forward um, and I wouldn't underestimate the the final point there the community engagement yeah. because when we hear um, you know particularly in London people talking about balloting residents and engaging residents about the the nature of development we don't fear that at all because that's exactly what we do we engage communities in terms of what they want we engage the local authority in terms of what works for them and we engage our housing association partners in term, terms of delivery so that while many of these schemes can take two, three, four years to get mm. off the ground and running, once we do hit the ground, then then we, we generally get away pretty quickly. So, you know, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people do want to get into partnerships, but you just can't get there quickly. And to build up the pipeline <laughs> of work and the... You know, you can't underestimate the, 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 the track record of being able to deliver. You know, Countryside has delivered over 60 of these major schemes in London alone, and I don't think anybody else is. It's one of those um, cases being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and, and let, let me be really honest. You know, we, we got involved in partnership 35 years ago. We got involved in it um, because we had the master planning skills from, from uh, the house building business, but we just didn't have the money to buy the land. So getting involved with local authority partners seemed an ideal way to replicate what we'd done on the green fields on the, uh, in the urban environment. And it really is only in the last six, seven, eight years that th- this has really taken off because, of course, local authorities now are looking at the best ways to develop their assets to make their books balance. And, you know, here is... Countryside, who've been involved in this field for 35 years and a proven track record of not just being a good partner in the good times, but but also when the difficult times come, we don't run away from the schemes when when they get difficult. We find a way to make them work. 
And then just just finishing on this point, your your vision for the next you know five years is, is, is difficult. You know, sometimes difficult to look at. But for the next three years, what's your what's your vision for countryside? Well, I think that that, that, that looking forward, you know, our, our growth story. One of the questions that we get asked is, you know, we've had five years of fantastic growth. Um, we really have, but our growth story is far far from done. We 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 don't see that ending really anytime soon. You know, we see a huge fundamental requirement for, for housing, um, particularly in and, in and around London. And we see a desire on both central government and local government to, to enable that in, in a way going forward that we probably haven't seen in the last yeah. the last, last 20 years. Now, you know, execution is everything in these things. So, so it's not a straightforward process and it's sometimes a frustrating process. But actually, you know, we have all the fundamentals in place. We have the pipeline of partnership work. We've got the strategic land bank. Uh, we've got the financial strength from our, uh, following our, our IPO and our strength mm-hmm. of balance sheet. Uh, and the challenge is finding enough good people to deliver all these projects. And if there is, you know, one thing that keeps me awake at night, it's making sure we get enough good people to be able to grow at the speed that we aspire to. Just the final closing question. Uh, if you could go back five years and meet a, a young Ian Sutcliffe. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't that young five years ago. <laughs> uh, what would your advice be to him? When I took the job at Countryside, I, I knew Countryside from my previous time at, at Taylor Wimpy. You know, we'd done business with, with Countryside. I knew that fundamentally they were a good company and a, a potential sleeping giant. I think you've got to identify the things that you're really good at and be be honest about the things that that you're not so good at. And we we've made some good strategic choices in countryside. And yes, you know you've got to execute on all those things uh, hundred uh, hundred times ev- every day. But I think you know my advice would be pick the areas where you think you can succeed, uh, and then just be uh, absolutely focused on delivering them. Because if you get everybody aligned to that, then most things are possible. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Ian. Thanks, Sharon. All the best. Since Ian spoke with us a few weeks ago, Countryside has continued to push harder across the market and has just completed its acquisition of Westley, a circa 1,000-unit business. Countryside is a company going through phenomenal growth, and in his interview, Ian told us that what's key to him and what keeps him awake at night is finding enough good people to deliver at the speed the company wants to grow. The Solution Human Capital Group has created, which Countryside has hugely benefited from, is our UK House Builder Talent Acquisition System, or LTAS, designed specifically to solve the big recruitment problems of quality, speed and staff retention. In short, the LTAS harnesses the power of big data and digital inbound one-to-many platforms and strategies, all leveraged by 20 years of hands-on recruitment experience to the mid-to-senior level market. If you're interested in seeing how the system can help your business grow, then please book into one of our Talent Blueprint Strategy sessions. Within the session, we'll explain the number one tactic of attracting the top 15% of leadership talent to your business, advise you on how to halve the time of your recruitment process, and leave you with a plan and some strategies on how to improve your recruitment campaigns. We offer five strategy sessions a month on a first-come, first-served basis. Either call 0203 800 1080 or go to our website www.hc-group.co.uk and click on Talent Blueprint Call where you can access our diaries. We look forward to hearing from you. Discover how to build your UK house builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms. 
automation and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.